In this week's In-Ear Insights, let's talk about the workforce potential of artificial intelligence. We spend a lot of time, and I know I spend a lot of time personally, digging into the technology, what it is and how it works. And today, let's talk about the applications. How is this stuff being used? So Katie, you found some stuff from the folks over at Gartner. Uh, we want to recap what you found? Yeah, so over the weekend, I was scrolling through LinkedIn, like everybody does when they're, you know, waiting for their tires to be rotated or, you know, in line at the grocery store. And what caught my eye was someone posting about the Gartner, a new video that they posted, Unlock the Potential of Your Workforce with AI from their Think Again series. And the I was reading through the comments of, you know, the person who had posted it. And so the whole premise of this research, uh, and we have it up on our screen if you're not watching our podcast, is that they have from 2023 to 2033, their predictions of people versus AI, essentially. So what tasks will AI outperform people? And what tasks do the human outperform the AI counterpart? And unsurprisingly, the thing that AI is going to do better than human uh, at the top of the list is weather prediction. Well, no kidding. Our meteorologists have been wrong for years. I would be shocked if AI could start to get it right, given all the crappy data that we have to give it. But then you start to get into things that are really around development versus human tasks. And then at the bottom of the list, where the humans outperform the AI are more of the human tasks, such as personal care, which makes sense. But then you have other things that I thought were interesting, such as build new scientific theories, moral and ethical reasoning and writing best-selling books. And I was, I saw this and to me, logically it makes sense, but the commentary, the feedback from everybody reading this was like, phew, thank goodness. I knew AI wasn't that good, or I knew it was a flash in the pan. And I feel like there's a lot of misunderstanding for this kind of data. This data is saying today, these are, this is sort of where we stand in 10 years this is all going to be different. We're assuming that AI is going to outperform on most of these things. But as of today, humans, you know, we still have a leg in the race. This is a poorly constructed chart because I can't tell if it is by percentage or if it's over time because they have 2023 to 2033 at the, sort of the top as an axis. I'm not sure what I'm looking at. <laughs> well, which I think is ironic given how hard our charts are to read at times. But so basically, <laughs> if I'm just looking at this at face value and taking, if if I'm looking at this on a time continuum, so on the left is 2023, on the right is 2033, to me, it looks like it's almost that progression mm -hmm. where, you know, so driving a car autonomously. So it starts with human, 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 and then it's like, oh, nope, AI is going to outperform it like, somewhere in 2028, which is sort of the midpoint. If we look at software programming, we know already that that's sort of a paired AI and human. And so you need the human interaction. So it doesn't get into the details of how much of the task, but it's just mostly saying like, you need both AI and humans for certain things. The only thing that you 100% don't need humans for anymore is weather prediction, apparently. So... I know these things are typically <laughs> done with interviews with like C-suite executives and things to, to asking them, hey, you know, what's your perspective on this? From a technological perspective, looking at where models are today and what's possible, 
100% of this chart is wrong. 100% of this chart is, is dramatically overestimating human beings. <clears throat> AI already beats human beings at video games. No, no question. If you look at the StarCraft automations and things, it, it's an easy win. For breadth of translation, AI already outperforms humans on that. AI can translate things that we can't because it can infer things like you know uh, restoring dead languages, languages that have that have long since uh, been out of circulation, and based on the child languages from those forks, it can reconstruct the parent language, which has been done a lot in academia. It's very cool. Voice and face recognition, AI already dramatically outperforms that to the point where we have we have real problems societally right now with things like is facial recognition you know should it be ubiquitous or not the eu has passed a law saying you may not use ai for certain types of face recognition for voice recognition it's already built in driving a car autonomously machines outperform humans already the only reason we don't have that is regulatory more than anything for medical scan diagnosis machines outperform humans there were some clinical papers that came out last week actually uh, demonstrating that machines have a 20 percent absolute higher accuracy rate on medical scan diagnosis than humans do, which if you think about it is literally life-saving that machines can, can do that so much better. For software programming, software programming is an interesting one. Machines can program better right now but they don't have they don't have the, the agency to to make decisions like what should this software do you give it purpose and a prompt and focus and it can write the code for you very quickly but it, it can't it has no agency of its own for financial analysis machines are already doing that dramatically better than humans ask anyone who has been using these tools for things like stock picking creating music is one where i think that one's wrong in the other direction machines are profoundly bad at creating music they are with all the language models and all of the, the sequ sequencing models that come out there isn't a single one that has come up with anything that sounds doesn't sound like garbage like it, it's and the reason for it is because the weird nature of audio it's much more complex and it predates language so language models are trying to they're trying to use language models to predict things that are not language writing best-selling books uh, again, I think that one is overly optimistic. Uh, machines will outperform humans on that sooner rather than later. There's already a ton of well-selling books, not best-selling, but well-selling books on Amazon that are completely machine-made. Moral and ethical reasoning. Machines can reason whether or not, but that comes back to the agency problem. The question is, can they reason on their own? The answer is no. Building scientific theories, that is completely wrong. Machines are already doing that better. In fact, last week, machines just developed eight classes of new antibiotics based on some material science that uh, no one even considered. Now I, they have to go into testing to prove it. And personal care therapy is going to be one that's like driving cars. Machines can do that stuff today, it, but it is unregulated and it, it clearly needs to be regulated because that's you know, high, that's very high risk. So most of this chart, at least from my perspective as a technologist, is utterly wrong. From a technology standpoint, I hear you. From a non-technology standpoint, I disagree with you on your assessment, primarily because you said something when you were talking about software programming that you didn't carry through with everything else. You said with software programming, the machines can't make decisions. Therefore, that to me says, well, how come they can make decisions with everything else? And so if machines can't make decisions, humans are still the ones responsible. So I agree that machines are better at a medical scan diagnosis. 
but then a doctor still has to intervene to put together a care plan because no two humans. So like you and I, Chris could both get medical scans, but we're, we are inherently so different from our DNA, uh, you know, our physical stature, our, you know, medical history that you're going to get two very different care plans, even if we go in for the same thing. And so same thing with driving a car autonomously. There's too much unpredictability. Sure, I hear you about regulations. Like if every single car on the road forever, no more humans could drive. Sure. I don't see that happening because it's not accessible to every single human on the face of the planet, especially in, you know, less affluent parts of the country, less affluent part of the world. They don't have access. So they are still going to be driving, you know, 40, 50 year old cars just to get around to get basic needs. Voice and facial recognition. Sure. I agree with you on that one because there's not a lot of decision to be made. Competing in video games. <clears throat> it's interesting. So because I sort of put that in the same bucket as software programming of it's a lot of code and algorithms. But in terms of competing in a video game, I put that sort of in the same bucket of creating music and writing best-selling books. You cannot clone and program human creativity. The things that we come up with in our brain that are uniquely human, that are weird and odd. And, you know, I had this dream last night that made no sense, but let me string together these five crazy things and turn that into a story. A machine isn't going to be able to create and think uniquely the same way that humans do. I can see the face you're making that you think that I'm inherently wrong, but I will totally fight you on that. For video games in particular, machines are extremely good at that and decisioning for it because there's a clear objective. There's a, there's a clear victory condition to which it can adapt and permute. You know, this has been done for everything from chess to Go to StarCraft to Defense of the Ancients. All the, the games where uh, AI has been used uh, to successfully just beat the pants off the humans. Um, that is clearly an area where machines have a, a nearly unbeatable edge. <clears throat> for the other ones, I do agree with you in that machines can't make decisions autonomously in a lot of cases because they're not sentient. They're not self-aware. Um, <clears throat> with autonomous driving, that's, again, another one where there's a victory condition. Right. Don't hit things. <laughs> Stay on the road. Get from point A to point B without driving off a cliff. There's clear victory conditions for that. Other things like, yeah, like creating music. What is what does winning look like when you create music? Is it making a top 40 pop bestseller? Uh, there's there's no good victory conditions. So it's much harder to tune a model on those things. And that's where a lot of these tasks, when you look at unlocking the potential of your workforce, at the very least, every single one of these is going to be AI and human coexistence because machines can mm -hmm. just do good, huge chunks of it for us. But in a lot of them, yeah, the machine does outform. To your point about medical scan diagnosis, yeah, the decisioning is the decision for that more than anything is going to be a legal matter. Like who is responsible for saying, well, here's the treatment plan, Katie. You know, the machine diagnosed you with this, and I'm going to prescribe you this. And and if that turns out to be wrong, who is accountable for it? We have not worked out in law whether a machine is accountable and if so is it the software developer is it the model maker is it the tuner is it the person using it we don't have that worked out yet for artificial intelligence it will take some time to get there but for other things yeah for sure machines are already outperforming humans so it's 
you know, there's some themes that keep sort of coming out that, you know, we can sort of pick apart in terms of, you know, I mean, this, it's really, this is just a fancy wrapper for will AI take my job? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I feel, I feel like companies are forever trying to answer this question instead of just doing something about it. Um, you know, and so the real theme that seems to be emerging for me when I'm, you know, we're having this conversation and I'm sort of processing the information is that there is a place for humans in terms of critical thinking, in terms of creativity, in terms of decision-making, accountability, process development. So those are that's where, when it says unlock the potential of your workforce, yeah, let AI do all of the number crunching and programming and, you know, I, I forget what you call it, like sort of the like victory goal, like when there's a clear outcome, but humans still need to come up with the, come up with the thing. Like, yes, machines, they can come up with the new scientific theories, but they're not going to come up with everything. Humans are still going to have ideas uniquely human that machines won't be quote unquote thinking of because it's not part of their data set. It's not part of the algorithm. It's not part of the information they have. You know, I think about like a Stephen King novel, for instance. Yes, he's written so many books at this point that you could load all of them into a model and it could probably write a quote unquote Stephen King book. But the reason why Stephen King is still Stephen King and still a best-selling author is because every time he comes out with a book, it's a new idea. There's something new that he himself has not yet written about. And so that to me is where, sure, Machines can write some, you know, mediocre, mildly well-selling books, but they're never going to be a Stephen King. I don't know that that's going to be the case. Uh, and the reason I don't know that's going to be the case is when looking at what's happening on Instagram. So on Instagram, you are seeing, you know, multi-million person followers, influencer accounts that are completely synthetic and they are synthetic. There's no human. All the, the travel photos and all this stuff is completely synthesized. And yet people engage with it. People spend a lot of money with these influencers. It, <clears throat> I know you're rolling your eyes. But I am it, rolling my eyes. But this is what human beings are doing because what they're getting from the synthetic personality is is good enough for them to say, yeah, I want to spend money with this entity. Even if in many cases, you know, even a moderately trained eye, you can tell it's synthetic. You can tell this is not a real human being. There are obvious flaws in in what's being displayed, but people don't care. People want the entertainment in whatever form it's delivered in. And I think for things like writing best-selling books, yes, you you can. You know, we saw in the Nature magazine study that machines do diverge in thinking on average 20% better than humans do for coming up with creative ideas. Again, they have no agency, so they have to be prompted to do it, mm -hmm. but they can do it better than we can on average. Now, the again, from that same study, it did demonstrate that the best human creative thinkers are better than the best machine-made creators, but that's, that's, that's the edge case. That's that top 1%. Everybody else, thanks to the majority of humans being not great creative thinkers, the machines simply do better. And so for a lot of these things, when it comes to, you know, how do you think about applying AI uh, in your workforce? A lot of it is not just doing the grunt work, but also saying, what are the things that are uniquely human 
that machines probably won't do anytime soon. And and you nailed it, which is the human to human interface, right? Because mm-hmm. everything machines do has to at some point interface back to a human. A human has to buy something. No one has turned over their purchasing department to machines yet. And so at the end of the day, the outputs do have to go back to a human and probably through a human. And certainly we advise all of our customers, you never let a machine you know, do any kind of major process unattended. <laughs> They're not ready for that yet. But from A to Z, machines can do basically B through Y. And it's the A and the Z that are human parts. Well, I mean, if you think all the way back to, you know, you have the Henry Ford assembly lines. Yes, it streamlined the production of motor vehicles. Absolutely. And sure, a lot of people at that time were out of a job because of the way that the work changed. But not 100% of the people were out of a job. You still needed people overseeing and monitoring and making sure things didn't break. And so those are the people that, you know, at least when we look at this list, they'll be fine for now. But then so that's where, you know, we need to look at, okay, if I've only ever been doing the same thing over and over again, if I only ever create Uh, a report once a week, if I only ever put numbers in a spreadsheet, yes, this is the kind of thing that you should be worried about. So then when when it says unlocking the potential of your workforce, what aren't you doing? You know, do you now have an opportunity to let the machine put the numbers in the spreadsheet for you and then you take it that step further and figure out what to do with the numbers? That's really what it comes down to is What's the next step? Let the machine do the grunt work. Let the machine program the software. Let the machine write the first draft. Let the machine, you know, create the hypothesis. You, the human, then say, yes, this is good or no, this is bad. What else can we do with this? What are we missing? What aren't we doing? And I think that that's the conversation that isn't being had enough. It's being had but we're so focused on the fear of when is my job going to be taken? When am I going to be out of a job that we're not focusing on? Great. Let it take that part of my job. What else can I do? You and I were having a conversation before we hit record about, you know, managing the data in the spreadsheet. And one of the things you said was I can't get ahead on my stuff because I have to to manage other stuff. And Mm -hmm. when you said that, that made me go, huh, why haven't we tried having a machine do this yet? Because the the work that's being asked of it is stuff that is within the capability of a language model, because it's just processing text uh, and outputting a, a known format. And I think that's where that's where the true unlocking of potential for your workforce is. Exactly mm-hmm. what you said. It is here's some stuff that is it's important, but it's still relatively low value. Now. Mm-hmm. It, all the low value here's here's the challenge with this all the low value tasks add up to something to high value decisions right, right. so if you just say we're not going to do these low value tasks well then you can't make a decision because the the high value decisions are, have dependencies on the low value stuff hence why you have to keep it around but that low value stuff really is okay how much of it can we hand over to machines and how quickly can we hand it over to machines so that it's it's less time last week when i was putting together some content curation setups for one of our our clients one of the first things i did was okay i need to to designate some topics and things for this i handed 100 percent of that task off to a, a language model like there is no reason for me to be manually hunting down keywords anymore that goes straight into a language model and then for our own stuff when i looked at it this weekend when i was pulling data for for my personal newsletter 
it was much better. It was so much better you know, because the machines had more comprehensive knowledge of the space than I did at the time and better memory of it. And it was a clear case where that task still only takes two minutes a week, but now the quality has gone up significantly because let machines handle more and more of it. The code itself, I have now revamped that code three times in the last year, whereas I hadn't touched it once in three years because it's labor, right? It's mm -hmm. it's 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 manual labor that it's coding, you know, so it's not like I'm you know lifting logs, but at the same time, it's drudgery. And so now I can hand my existing code to a machine and say, hey, here's my code. Let's improve this. Here's what I want to improve. And it will do it. It will get it 95% right. There'll be 5% still screwed up, uh, but it's easy to fix the screw ups. Mm -hmm. And so th that's another example. If you unlock the potential of your workforce. Yes, I can do more of these low, low value things, but they add up to a very high value output. And I think that that's the that's that's a big part of the conversation that's also not being had is it's the accumulation of tasks um you know so i could say sure 95 percent of my job is now automated but if you start to pick apart each of those individual tasks they really all add up you need every single one of those things and those take a lot of maintenance those take a lot of human intervention and so I'm not going anywhere anytime soon because even if I hand over my stuff to machines, I still need to make sure all of those individual low value pieces that add up to the big things are all working correctly. So I'm not going anywhere. My job is safe, even if I am using machines 95% of the time. Right. There's a shadow economic impact, which is that we're not hiring more people, right? So we're because because the machine we don't have to hire we're you know our company is now almost six years old and we still have not for the amount of work that we do we should have probably in the old days prior to ai we would have had 10 more people on staff because mm -hmm. we just have that much work to do but because of machinery we've not had to hire so there is an economic impact it's just that you know we've not laid anyone off but we did not we have not expanded our workforce substantially as part of it and even today we're building new things. You know, we're currently working on building attribution modeling software for HubSpot. So inside the HubSpot ecosystem to to do essentially Markov chain modeling with that. Again, we're using machines. Machines are, mm -hmm. are writing the code. We have we still have to provide the guidance to say, like, here's what I want it to do. But boy, is it doing software programming for us? Yeah, it's as we you know, it's it's interesting. We all, you know, as I've always been saying, it's, you know, new tech, same old problems. I feel like this is AI is new tech doing things different than other tech has done before, but it's the same problem. I think about, you know, internet research versus library research or, you know, data processing versus hand calculations. There's a, there's room for both of those things. It's just a matter of taking a step back and figuring out what the heck it is you need to do. And I think that that's where, you know, to your point, this chart kind of doesn't tell the whole story. I mean, we know it doesn't tell the whole story. It's just like one single bar chart. Um, there's room for both. It's just a matter of what does that look like in each individual situation. I personally, I'm someone, I love the library. Give me the library all day long and I don't want to sit at a computer at all. But that's me personally. You Chris would rather be at a computer and have things done faster. Whereas I prefer sort of like the more slower and that's, 
purely because of how our brains process information. You process things 10 times faster than I do. I take a lot longer to pull all of the information together and feel like I can feel confident to make a decision, whereas your brain just works that much faster. And that, I think, is where we're going to start to see, you know, people who are setting the course in an individual company. It's how their brain works. It's how they are also going to dictate how they're using the technology. And there's also a gap that's not reflected on here as well. And I think this goes well with your point, which is to, to unlock the power of AI, at least in the, these nascent first few years, this you know first decade or so of it, you're going to need connectivity tissue to, to make these things work. So, you know, right now people have chat GPT. The, the vast majority of people using generative AI are using something like chat GPT super low tech right it's it's just a browser and a chat and it does a really good job but to make it scale now you need technological help right if you you got to go from chat gpt to the gpt4 api so that you can make things at scale chat gpt does not do that and an organization that wants to make that scale leap that's a big cliff to jump um, it's not there's no gradual progression when i look at you know the things that on this list that i know machines can do today and outperform humans the the asterisk the gotcha is you need to have someone who has experience with technology to implement it because mm -hmm. the 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 pieces of software that exist are like engines they're really good they're really powerful they're amazing but no one drives a car by sitting on the engine and four wheels, right? There's usually seats and a steering wheel and a cabin and air conditioning and a radio. None of that exists in an engine. So we have the engines for all these things today. Um, uh, for example, personal care and therapy. There's a model called Beyonder that just came out last week that is incredible. It is so powerful and it runs on your laptop. It's not easy to use. Right, you have to mm -hmm. install LM Studio. I have to download the model. You have to download the correct quantized version, install it. And, yeah, you've and, already lost me. Yeah, and so that will be the I think the gap where mm -hmm. does the technology exist for all these things today? Yes. Can AI perform on all these things today? Mostly yes. Can the average person or the average company unlock that value with it? No. That's the well, gap. Well, think. I mean, to to borrow a Chris Penn analogy. You know, all the ingredients exist for a gourmet meal. That doesn't mean I can make it. Mm -hmm. I could install, you know, a professional chef's kitchen in my house. I could buy, you know, a thousand dollars worth of ingredients. I'm probably still going to be better off making a box of mac and cheese because that <laughs> I know I can do. I'm probably going to screw up the rest of it. Yep. I mean, even last week when we did our live stream talking about deliverability for email, we walked through step by step here, you know, on live on screen. Here's how to do it. And we still got inquiries after saying, please, please come do this for me. <laughs> it's yeah. like, but I just showed you how to do it step by step. I gave you the recipe. And you're like, nope, I'm making the mac and cheese. You, you cook it. Because not everyone's a technologist, not everyone's a chef. And there are certain things like technology or cooking that can be really intimidating to someone. And so they would rather leave it to the experts. And so one of the things we'll be talking about over the next couple of weeks is what does it look like to comprise an AI task force? What does that mean? What kind of, who do you need? What does that look like for a company? What is the end game? Yep, exactly. And yeah, I, I think 
the 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 hard part for this stuff will not be the technology it will be interfacing the technology with people and getting people to be able to use the technology in a low bandwidth way meaning that you don't have mm -hmm. to think terribly hard it, it, I think ChatGPT did a really good job of saying, like, hey, here's a low bandwidth way to interact with a very complex system. A really good example of this, not AI, but of the getting people to use the interface of technology. I actually saw this Instagram reel this morning. So if you're a football fan, then you know that over the weekend, uh, NBC made a very controversial decision to not have the wild card game between it was the chiefs and maybe the packers i think i might be getting that wrong please don't come after me but i know the chiefs played and so basically they made the decision to not put it on cable to not put it on regular nbc but to only stream it on peacock which is the nbc streaming service now i saw this you know reel this morning and it was basically this couple who was probably about my age and this woman was talking to the phone, basically begging Peacock to stop doing this because an hour into the game, her husband was still on the phone with her parents trying to walk them through how to download the Peacock app and install it and sign up for it so that they could also watch the game. And this is stuff that, you know, when my husband said, oh, it's on Peacock, I was able to log in and get him set up within 30 seconds because to me, it's second nature. But it's not to everybody. And that is a very simplistic process. This is not simplistic at all. And I think you're absolutely right that the getting the humans to be able to interface with it is going to be the hardest part. It's funny you use that example because that's how I feel when I when I talk to you about this stuff. It's like, well, just install <laughs> Elm Studio, you know, and then find the I'm appropriate the model, hug your face, download it, download it, make sure it's the <laughs> Q5 quantization, and 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 you know, make sure you set the model to load memory and use the the Metal API. It's easy, <laughs> thirty seconds, one, two, three. <laughs> but that that makes the point very well that the unlocking the potential of your workforce with AI is less about the technology and more about the people in the process. And if it's 100%. something that you want some help with, that's something we do. Absolutely. And we do it very well. <laughs> with AI. <laughs> with AI. <laughs> um, but no, in, in all seriousness, the, the potential, the unlocking the potential of the workforce in AI is as much about people and process as it is technology. The technology exists today. There are so many things that you should have in your R&D capabilities to just people trying things out. And I think having a culture of experimentation where you allocate time and resources to experimentation will be critical for maintaining a competitive edge with AI to, to, to be willing to say, yeah, you know, employee, five hours of your work week should be just trying to do different things with AI to see if you, if you can and to see if there's a use case for it. If you have something like ChatGPT, yeah, you should be spending Five hours a week. Okay, let me see if I can make this part of my job uh, easier with ChatGPT. Maybe you can, maybe you can't, but you should be trying. Mm -hmm. um, any final parting thoughts? Just, you know, keep asking questions. Don't be afraid of it. And focus less on will it take my job and focus more on what else can I do? Exactly. What are you doing with AI? We want to know. Drop us a line in our free Slack group. Go to trustinsights.ai slash analytics for marketers, where you and over 3,000 other people are asking and answering each other's analytics, data science, and AI questions every single day. And wherever it is you watch or listen to the show, if there's a channel you'd rather have it on instead, go to trustinsights.ai slash TI podcast, where you can find us on most major channels. We just added, I think, 
boom box so we're, we're streaming there now uh, the the service provider we use gives us a whole bunch of check boxes like do you want your podcast here the answer is yes so wherever <laughs> it is you get the show please make sure you leave us a rating and a review it does help to share the show thanks for tuning in and we'll talk to you next time Thank <laughs> you.